Hey, welcome to the Church Home Podcast. My name is David, and I'm the CEO here at Church Home. And I'm so glad that you've joined us today. In just a moment, you're gonna hear an encouraging message around the person of Jesus and his love for you. But if we can serve you in any way as a community, we would love to do that. And the best way for you to get connected is to actually chat with one of our pastors on our pastor chat tool, which you can do on churchhome.org or on the Church Home website. And hey, if you've been impacted by this podcast in your walk and journey with Jesus, we wanna invite you to exercise your faith by actually giving in generosity to help the message of Jesus go be spread across the globe through Church Home. And you can do so by texting the word generosity to the number 97,000. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this message. I'd like to do something that's insane tonight. I'd like to put on the table for your consideration what I would think is um, maybe the one of the most difficult, or I should say detrimental and challenging perspectives of God we have ever espoused or ever accepted. I'd like to meet you tonight in that exhausted place in your soul, that weary place in your soul, that inadequate space in your heart, you know, where you feel like you're not spiritual enough, you're not godly enough, you're not smart enough, you're not sharp enough, you're not read enough, you're not engaged enough. Am I the only one who feels, even in current events right now, there is so much transpiring in one day? Have you had a conversation yet with one of those people who reads better than you, who's more aware than you, who's more understanding of kind of global things and governmental structures and movements and all the details? You had one of those conversations yet and you're like talking to this person and you're like, oh my God, I should shut my mouth for the rest of my life. I have no idea what I'm talking about. This is crazy. This person is so smart. This person is so shrewd. This person is so wise. And then you have that thought, how do they not have a podcast? How do I have a podcast? They need to have a podcast. I would podcast their podcast. This is crazy. These people are brilliant. This is incredible. I recently had a Zoom call with some really smart people. And most of the time, I feel like I'm pretending to be smart. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, but the thing about me is if you use a good word that I like, I don't know the meaning, but I can assimilate it very fast into my sentences so that I can sound around sophisticated people, very sophisticated. So I feel fraudulent in a lot of ways, but I probably shouldn't tell you that because if we go to coffee, I might insert some of those big words so that you feel impressed with my spirituality. But back to the norm of daily life right now, you talk to some informed, really, they just seem so integrated with all their information and they're able just to go boom, 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 boom. And you're just like, wow, that was riveting. That was, I don't know nothing. And they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, you know, that's crazy you ask because to be honest, bro, you took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) You ever done one of those? I did one of those today on a Zoom call. We were on a Zoom call and they're like, now Judah, what do you think? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I got to say, man, what the other guys, that was so good. That is exactly what I was about to say. So I just want to say ditto. Okay, we're all there. We're living in the information age, traveling at the speed of light, not the speed of life, right? So we are constantly inundated with what seems to be far more informed and brilliant people. That leads me to that need that you feel and I feel leads me to how we relate to the divine. Now, 
There are people in this room tonight that I am aware and you're aware that your interaction with the divine is limited to none. And there could be a number of reasons for that, all of which I respect and totally understand and don't blame you for one second. Maybe your interaction with the divine is so limited because of the misappropriation and even the traditions around religion, which have caused extraordinary and extensive pain. Some would argued recently with me the pain and the atrocities and the destruction and the, and the total loss that we are witnessing and experiencing in the Middle East right now as we speak. Some people call it a religious war. Some people believe that that war maybe wouldn't even be instituted if there wasn't things like organized religion and deities and divines and holy books that instruct humans to do other horrific things to other humans. And so to be honest, Judah, I'm here tonight because life is painful, but I'm not so sure about the divine. I don't know about my interaction. Now, on the flip side, there are some people here that your interaction with God is incessant, right? It is something that just shapes your everyday life and your constantly talking about God and thinking about God and you're the guy at the water cooler at break at work. You know, you're sharing your testimony and telling everybody about God and how God can change your life. And, and that's amazing. But I would like wherever you are on the spectrum, if you are like, I don't really interact with the divine, or if you're over here and you're like, I can never go a minute without talking to God. Okay, great. There's the full spectrum. I would like to suggest from this spectrum, no interaction. To this spectrum, constant interaction. There is a premise that is well and truly alive and well in our culture today. It's not just in the Western world. Frankly, it's all over the world. Now, before I reveal, <laughs> you're like, Judah, it's not that captivating. But before I reveal this error and this way that we see God. Now, now keep in mind, in an effort to uh, compel you to care about how you view God, uh, let the record show that the way you view God oftentimes is the way you view yourself and in turn view your whole life. So be careful because historically, when you look at uh, uh, the, tra the, the, the trajectories of human life over the course of thousands of years, we will find entire countries and continents who either thrive or, or barely survive because of how they view the divine. And, 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 and who is he or, or she or, or who, how and do they care? And is it, it's, it's, it's categorically imperative. Now, I'm not saying that tonight you are gonna have to view God the way I view God, okay, as if somehow I could change your whole mind and persuade you. I am merely gonna set on the proverbial table for all of our consideration some thoughts that I have about the divine that I think very well could cause you pause and could cause you question and consideration and, and maybe just maybe change your view a little bit and maybe augment your Thursday morning tomorrow. There is a premise on how we're viewing God, and I take big issue with it, and I think we're totally wrong. And I've been thinking about this for several weeks now, and I've been thinking, man, I really need to speak on this, but I wasn't, I didn't have, uh, you ever have a thought, but you're like, maybe it's not really a good thought. And then I ran into uh, writings by the great reformer Martin Luther, who nailed his thesis to the infamous door of the cathedral or, 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 or the church of justification, not by works, but by trusting in the work of Jesus, that mankind 
could have relationship with God, not based on what they have done or haven't done, but by what Jesus did on the cross. And now they can have a relationship with God, not based on their morals or their performance or their ability to adhere to a law, but by believing in the work of Jesus who knew no sin, but became sin so that they might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Martin Luther disrupted the apple cart, if you will. That was an understatement for those keeping track. But anyways. He said this in one of his writings thousands of years ago. He said, God is not a coach. And there it is. If you don't get nothing else tonight, I want to make this statement and I would like you to kind of sit and maybe even absorb it. What if God isn't a coach? What if he's not a coach? What if God is not a coach at all? What if God is not a life coach, not a family coach, not a daily coach? What if he's not a coach? What if God reveals himself completely differently than coach? That's what I want us to consider. This takes me to sixth grade basketball. I know, it's what you wanted to hear about tonight. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm an athlete. I hate you guys so much, but I'm an athlete, okay? With these shoes, easily 6'3". I'm a shooter. Uh, I taught my boys one lesson. I said, we're Smiths, what does it mean? Well, first of all, that's not true. We, We had a motto and we're Smiths. We're kind and encouraging and we look for lonely people. So I taught them when they go to school, you're kind, encouraging, we look for lonely people. This is what we do. We find lonely people, we reach out. We're Smiths, this is what we do. But maybe just as important, I taught my boys. We're Smiths, what does that mean? We shoot. What do we do after we shoot? We shoot more, dad. Do we pass? No. We shoot. So if you're here tonight and you're a shooter, I'm your guy, okay? get the ball, you're not getting it back. What do shooters do? They shoot. When you're in a shooting slump, what do you do? You shoot. When you're hot, what do you do? You shoot. Okay? That's what we do. So this started very early in my life. I was on the sixth grade team, which I believe, was that 11 years old, 12 years old? What's sixth grade? Is it 11 or 12? I can't trying to think about it. 11, something like that, 11. Somebody said 11 very distinctly. That, that's, a very, that's amazing. Are you a school teacher? Six or eight? No? Okay, 11. All right, I like it. 11's a good number. Okay, so I was 11 years old, apparently, according to my friend right here. 11 years old, and I got a breakaway. I got a lot of those. It's a basketball term, technical term. Stole the ball, headed down the court. Now, I was playing in one of those old church gyms. You know, the gyms where they film like Saved by the Bell basketball games? Y'all remember that, Zach Morris? Like the gym is like literally the hoop, one hoop's here and the other hoop's here. You know what I mean? So I got a breakaway and I went up for the layup. One of those classic, you know, grade school layups. Hit the backboard, because my momentum, you know, took me into And I just, and I was so dejected. I think I was averaging like 30. I'm kidding I hate you guys so much. I'm going to get some of you to smile tonight. That is my whole goal, okay? But ball goes off the backboard, and I do what anybody does who's a good shooter. I I dropped on the court, faked the injury. (laughs) 
Shut up. Coach called a timeout. Coach Jack. Coach Jack called me over. He said, uh, he pulled me over and he said this. He said, uh, Judah. I said, yeah. He said, what are you doing? That's an interesting question, isn't it? What am I doing? I'm 11 years old. I can, well in, I can tell you right now, I don't have an answer to that question in any way, shape, or form. I'm 11 years old. What do you mean, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't need, nobody, had, what am I doing? I'm 11. That's what I'm doing. What else am I doing? I'm 11. I don't know. What am I thinking? I don't know. I'm 11. What am I doing? I don't know. Like, what are you doing? He says. And I said, remember this? Mm-hmm. You remember that when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. How was your day, son? Mm-hmm. And I go, hmm. And he goes, go sit on the end of the bench. Figure it out before I put you back in. And I was thinking what he was thinking. We got no chance if you don't put me back in. But anyways, that's beside the point. That's not relevant to the message. I just wanted to throw that in there. I end up going to the end of the bench. And I'm sitting there because my coach is trying to coach me. And I remember in my 11-year-old brain thinking to myself, what am I doing? And I think coach kind of knew I faked the injury, but I wasn't speaking to that because he didn't know that. And I'm sitting there and that's what I want you to hear tonight. I think a lot of you have a relationship with God like I had when I was 11 with my basketball coach. I think a lot of you, when life gets difficult and tough, you hear God asking you, what are you doing? Hey, come here, time out. What are you doing? You've been married three years. What are you doing? I don't. Why don't you go sit down and think about it before I put you back in the game of life? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. All right. All right. And a lot of you, I want you to be honest with yourself. Don't look around left or right. Don't give yourself up. Don't give yourself away. But a lot of you have been sitting right here the last several days trying to figure out what you're doing. What am I doing? Such an interesting way for us to think. Some of you are here going through one of the most difficult extended seasons of your life. You have made some decisions recently that has caused you pain, caused other people pain. And honestly, what you hear in your head is a coach. What are you doing? Uh, Why don't you go sit down, figure it out. I'll put you back in the game. Yes, sir. You know how many sermons I've been in? You know how many church services I've been to? You know how many times God is likened to a coach, whether directly, indirectly, advertently, or inadvertently? Like, here's one of the famous preacher quotes for those who care and are familiar with this. You know, sometimes God will call a timeout in your life, church. Everyone's like, ooh, that's a good point. I kind of feel like I am in timeout right now. He'll call a timeout. He'll pull you off the court. Everyone's like, yeah, I kind of feel like he did pull me off the court. And sometimes he'll sit you down. Yeah, I kind of feel like he did. And he'll try to, he's he's going to work on some stuff in you before he puts you back in the game. Can I hear an amen? And all the saints are like, amen. Hey, what preach that preacher? That is is so good. I'm glad God pulled me out of the game, gave me a timeout. That's, That's good. Hey, hey. Your heart still, be, there is no timeouts. We all know the metaphor broke down a long time ago, right? That's not how it works. God is not a coach. 
You mean to tell me that the great reformer thousands of years ago, for whatever reason, I could not believe when I saw the word coach. First of all, I was like, they had coaches back then? I didn't really know that. God is not a coach. How much of your life, and I mean, some of you are like, I don't really deal with God. And I think one of the reasons you don't deal with God is because you're not trying to deal with a disgruntled coach who's pissed off at you. That's not fun, right? It's just not fun. It's not fun when like, like you ever watch our athlete people we admire on TV and the coach is like in the athlete's face after the athlete made a mistake. And it's like, yeah, D- he knows, coach. You probably don't need to tell him. Like, he know what are you doing? Uh, I don't really know. We'll figure it out. How? Figure it out. Okay. One of the tells that, that we relate to God as a coach is how oriented our social construct is around performance, appearance, accomplishments, things we do. Now, I know, I know, we can go on and on and on, and we're going to get into this a little bit, but I know right now some of you brilliant people, which all of you are, are already making arguments in your head. Well, God wants us to have good success. Didn't he say to Joshua, be strong and have good courage and have good success, and God's going to bless you? And Judah, I, I, I think, all right, all right, all right, I, I hear you, I hear you. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. There's this moment where Jesus is praying. And his 12 teenage dudes that are rolling around following, following him called the disciples, which we have made to be these incredibly dignified men in beautiful suits. When in fact, it's a motley crew of teenagers who got no clue about what's going on, except that they're pretty sure Jesus is going to run for office and they're going to run the White House. And they're like, this is sick. <laughs> like, bro, we're so popular. This is unbelievable. Did you see the crowd we had yesterday? That was awesome. Right? They're just like you and me. They're like, momentum is growing, where the crowds are getting bigger. Jesus can make food out of nothing. This is amazing. Nobody has the sauce like us. This is crazy. So I want you to think about all they had seen Jesus do. One time he's praying. He's praying. He's praying so long and so diligently that the Bible records that while he's praying, they say to themselves, when he's done, which might be a while, we got to ask him how he does that. Now, can I ask you a question? After Jesus, like, multiplied the loaves and the fishes, opened blind eyes, walked on the water, do you mean to tell me that those same jokers didn't say, hey, so what's, how do you do that one? But there was something so compelling, unusual, unprecedented that these 12 Jewish men, young men, were so captivated with how Jesus was praying that when he got done, they didn't do this all the time. They said, hey, 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 can you teach us to do that? That was great. What are you doing? What are you saying? Now, let me give you a little context. The current state of things at the synagogue is nothing like what they've just witnessed. And this is important to note. 
all of the prayers, all of the popular prayers that they had heard were sophisticated, ornate language that only upper echelon moral high ground humans held. Prayer was an act of the spiritually elite. It was something to be, well, uh, impressed by. Now, don't all sit there and act like we don't have some of this today. Come on now. You ever, you ever done one of those prayers where you're like, Lord, help me do a really good prayer so these people are really impressed? You ever heard? Come on now. I grew up in church, okay? I grew up with all the pomp and the circumstance, so I know how to do one of them good public prayers. Our God, our auspicious, glorified, heavenly Father, as we come tender, broken, and shattered, yet we walk to you as sheep that are scattered, and yet you've brought us together, and the matriculation of the magnificence of your mercy has brought us to this juncture. Right? Like, we can do that. It's fun. It's fun. One of these weeks, I'm just going to do like three or four prayers, and then you guys vote on which one was the best one. We just do live voting. Like, that's what we spend our time with? All right, Judah, you've quite lost the plot. All right. So, so they're familiar with prayer. Now, keep in mind, they also knew that the tradition for the priest or the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies they would have been taught as young men that if you don't pray right or live right or be right and you get into the presence of God and you don't got your stuff in order, you can die. This is real. It's in the Torah. It's in the Old Testament. But the priests, in fact, it got so real that when priests would go into the presence of God, they would tie a rope around their ankle and they would put bells on the ankle. So when the priest was in there and still alive, you could hear the bells. The bells were a good sign. But when the bells stopped ringing, oh, he did. He didn't pray right. He didn't live right. Drag him out. You think I'm making this up? This is real. They drag him out and be like, ooh, ooh, ooh. So I wonder if that's why with all the stuff he did, Jesus, why these 12 dudes, when he starts talking, to himself, if you will, having a conversation with the Father and the Son and the Spirit who are one yet distinguishable. And he's praying, which how many know he's not just praying for himself. He's praying so they, so they, so they see what prayer can be. And it's so magnificent, so out of the box, so unprecedented, so unusual that these guys are literally waiting whenever he gets done Who's going to, Peter, ask him, ask him, ask him. Peter was always the one doing most of the talking. Ask him how we can do that. Because that was, he did that for a long time. Ask him. So what we think, oh, prayer, what's the big deal? In this particular setting, these guys were mystified at the magnificent way that Jesus talked to himself or the divine. Now, it gets gooder. It gets gooder. First of all, before he says how to pray, he says how not to pray. And we could probably use some of this in today's day and age. He's like, hey, don't pray in public so everybody can see you. Don't post on social media so everybody, oops. So, but don't like, um, don't make a show of it. But anyways, um, 
I pray online, by the way. I do live prayers. So we're in this together, okay? So in case you're wondering like, oh, how dare you? Oh, relax. All right. So anyways, if the shoe fits. So the point is, he says, uh, don't pray with pretense and all the big words and stuff. But, but when you do pray, here's, here's how I want you to start your prayer. Our Father. Now, out of the 300 plus, let's say, times in the Old Testament, Father is used, only a handful of times does that reference God. The 300 plus times Father is used in the New Testament, only a handful of times does it not refer to God. So there seems to be this extraordinary shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament of how God is revealing himself. And I have news for you. The reason that change exists is because God put on skin and bone in the person of Jesus and made God accessible to man. And now man can access God, not based on his or hers performance, but based on the performance of Jesus. So Jesus, even before he goes to the cross and pays the penalty for all the air and the wrong and the sin that would ever be committed and absorb it in his body and the earth would shake and the sun would go dark and the, and the, and the veil and temple would rip and even all of creation would respond to God allowing himself to be killed at the hands of his own creation. And even the rocks and the animals are like, what is going on before Jesus? Jesus does that and changes man's access to God forever. A little bit ahead of time, he says, when you pray, call him daddy. And these dudes would have been like, ah, I don't know about that. That's, what do you mean? He's a father. Now it gets more ornate and outrageous because he says, when you pray, pray our father. He didn't say my father. He didn't say your father. He said, our Father. Oh, how the world needs to assimilate the R there. The R there. He didn't say your Father, my Father. He said our Father. We are all God's children. And oh, how the world needs to hear that today. We are the same, my brothers and sisters. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't you limit yourself. We are all God's children. We will be treated as such in this institution and in this organization and in this church. Every human being will be treated with the dignity and the value and the worth that they have before God. Yeah. Appreciate the golf clap. Moving on. He said, our Father who art in heaven, he says, holy is your name. Now, this is wild because for the first time now, God, William Barclay, the old Scottish philosopher and theologian said, what an ornate and outrageous statement made by Jesus. He says, when you pray, I want you to use an intimate term, but I want you to remember that he's great. Now, in Greek mythology, Zeus was great, but he was not intimate. In Greek mythology, which was pervasive in the time and the era in which Jesus is speaking, the divine the gods were almost unattainable and they were robust and they were radical 
and they were just and right in all of their treatment. There is a old Greek mythology that says someone was asked of Zeus, I want to live forever. And Zeus said, I will grant you life forever, but you will age forever. The feeling about Zeus and other Greek mythological figures is where they were great and they were awesome and they were powerful, but they were not intimate and warm and loving and accessible. Jesus says, when you pray to God, call him daddy and then pray about, but your name is great. Who is this God who is so grand and yet so accessible? I can tell you right now, he's not a coach. He's not a coach. We have, I think, in an effort to understand God, we have once again in our generation made God in our own image. This is classic. This is is humanity 101. Each successive generation must wrestle with who God is. And so we find ourselves again, my brothers and sisters, as an intersection in the midst of an unprecedented access to war. We've never had images like this. We've never had articles like this. Never had content like this. Never had videos like this. Never had photos like this. Keep in mind, for some of you, this is all you've ever known, but this is new. If I could under, if I could underscore that again, this is new. Did you, let me say it one more time. To have this kind of viewing to grotesque war is un unprecedented. And so what will we conclude about our God? Who is he? And how will we relate to him? Most of us conclude because of the acts of humanity, because of our own proclivities and weaknesses and bias and prejudice and self-absorption and self-serving, we once again do what every successive generation has grappled with, and that is we project on the divine and we make him in our own image. And so, for many of you, the term father is not a pleasant term. And for many of you, the term coach is a little more pleasant. And so I believe one of the great things we will wrestle with in this generation is asking ourselves, is God a coach helping us succeed in our career or is he a father who wants us simply to be in his family? I don't blame anyone in this room for making God more coach than father. I think there is a level of self-protection in that. And I see that and I see the validity of that. If God can just be not someone I am directly related to, but kind of a coach who helps me and aids me in my pathway towards success, however we define that in our respective parts of the world, and help me with my 401k and help me with my investments and help me with my daily life and help me with my diet and help me with my aches and my pains and my losses. If he'll just give me kind of keys and components and principles and concepts to aid me in my journey, that would be nice, but that's not really who he is. And that's why tonight, Before I'm done, I want to show you the implications when you start to see God for who Jesus revealed him to be, which is an intimate father. It can quite literally change a Thursday. 
He can change everything. He's a father. He's a father. But he's not, father doesn't do it justice in, in our country. Bear with me and all the different people, different countries and continents maybe you're viewing from. I, I want to be clear, but here in the Western world, father is more of a uh, sophisticated title for dad. Some of you may call your father figure or actual paternal father, father. Hello, father. You know, but for most of us in 2023, we're like, yo, pops. Yo, dad. Daddy. Right, but it's not father. And, And frankly, the transliteration into the term father doesn't do it justice because literally what's being communicated there in the original language is in fact, papa. It's so intimate that when you say it for what it really is, you sound like a child. So when Jesus says to teenagers who don't want to be childs, that's not how you say that, but don't want to be children, (laughs) don't want to be childs, is he okay? No! (laughs) When When he said, hey, when you pray, say, my daddy, they would have been like, what, bro? What are you talking about? You talking about the, the divine being that kills preachers who don't go into his presence, right? You want us to call him, what was that again? Papa? What? What are you talking about? This is what he made you for. You, he's, a, he's a father and you're in his family. Now, I want to say something about God. Your um, significance and value is um, as a part of his family. Now, I want to say something. You are in his family whether you acknowledge Papa or not. You need to know that. That just because I acknowledge the father of us all and you don't, doesn't make me more a part of the family and you not. Did you know that? Now, I would argue that you're missing out on interactions with a perfect father and who wouldn't want a perfect father? One of my best friends today, we were talking and he simply suggested that if you had a perfect father, how much time would you want to spend with him? I think the answer is clear. All of my time. Imagine, come on, let's just have some fun. My God, we need this. A perfect father? Imagine like, you know, when like when you talk to your dad about stuff and you know dads, I am one, bear with me. Am I perfect? No, but you get it. (laughs) I hate you guys so much. But you know what dads do? You know how dads always fix it. You ever had a combo with your dad, somebody like I never knew my dad, but for those of you who have like a father figure or maybe your mom or but like a parental figure, maybe it was an uncle or an aunt or, you know, kind of a, a, a maybe it was a coach who was like a father figure, but you ever had one of those conversations with a less perfect father and you're like, yeah, I've just been really going through it. Well, a couple things I think you should do. You ever been in one of those combos with a dad figure and you're like, I haven't even got out the whole thing yet and he's already fixing me. Oh God, I need ice cream and I need Netflix. Right, because he's not a perfect dad. So he's like, my, my, my classic dad stuff that I do is like my sons or my daughter will be like, you know, dad. And I'll be like, yeah, I remember when I went through that. 
It's like, oh, here we go. We're making this about dad again. Super cool. This is amazing. Really, dad, tell me your problems. Man, I had a real rough go when I was 14. I can tell you right now, one time I missed a layup and a big breakaway and sat down on the court and was real frustrated, got pulled out by Coach Jack. And it's like, oh, so this is about you again, huh, dad? All right, well, good talk, dad. Gotta go. Got homework. We don't have perfect dads. So we probably don't want to always hang out with them. But what if you had a dad? Imagine this. Every time you bore your soul to your dad because he's perfect, he went something like this. It's got to be hard. I can only imagine what that would feel like. So proud of you. You okay? What can I do for you, son? <sighs> Thanks, dad. <laughs> hey, I'm just, I'm just going to be here for you. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to work tomorrow. Just me and you all day. Really, Dad? Who are you? Can, can you imagine having a perfect dad? Dad, I just screwed up today. I think my boss is going to fire me. What? He's going to fire you? What, what would you do? I, I don't know. I, well, I kind of cussed at him. Oh, well, all right. Well, you know, you win some and you lose some, huh, son? You're like, this dad's not perfect anymore. He's getting weird, Judah. All right, I'm not perfect. All right, I've done my best here. But imagine a dad that always understands, a father that's always present, a father that always makes eye contact and listens. Proud of you. Father that always affirms you. A father that doesn't remind you of your mistakes, but always reminds you of how important and valuable and significant you are. How much time would you spend with that father? Here's the problem with the coach, Miss Nomer. It's performance-based. That's why the coach pulled me out. I missed the layup for crying out loud. And then I sat on the court because I hurt my knee. What are you doing? We need you to make layups, not miss them. If you keep missing them, I'm not going to put you back in the game. Biggest misnomer I've learned being in the NFL. <clears throat> I hate you guys so much, honestly. I'm a chaplain. Do the math. I'm in the NFL. All right? It's real, okay? I'm not paid, but I could be, I guess, thinking about renegotiating my contract. But I love it when coaches in the NFL are like, we're a family! And I literally want to stand up now because I've been doing it long enough to be like, he's lying. We're not a family. This is a business. You know, every year a new Seahawk gets signed. He's like 22 years old. And he's like, I made it, bro. I made it. And I'm like, dude, sick. This is awesome, bro. We're so happy to have you on the team. This is amazing. I love coach. This is a family. And I'm thinking, it's not. It's definitely not. One time I got asked. I was working with a football team, and I won't say which football team, and the coach said, hey, can you go meet with so-and-so? He's kind of had a rough chapter with his family, and so I run over there after practice, and I go, hey, man, can I help you, you know? And, like, I ran over like I'm an athlete. Hey, man, what's up? How are you, bro? <laughs> this is what skinny pastors do who wish they were athletes. Yo, what's up, bro? What's up? How you been, man? You good? You know? <laughs> And I was like, are you good? And we, we prayed together. He's like, man, I've been going through this with my girl and my kid. Da, da, da. Pray. I was like, ah, it's amazing. Guy calls me the next morning. They just cut me, bro. And I almost wanted to go back to coach and be like, hey, 
You had me pray for the guy we were firing. <laughs> we're family. N no, you're not. No, you're not. Coach, it's performance-based. And there it is. Most of us, if we're honest, spend a significant amount of time in our life relating to the divine, whoever it is, through performance. Some of you, the reason you want nothing to do with the divine is because your performance certainly wouldn't hold up well with uh, Coach God. And you know it. You're like me as a sophomore asking the head coach of our high school football team if I could suit up for homecoming. That was a great meeting. I walked in, I was like, Coach, the name's Judah. And he's like, Judah, I know your name. I was like, oh, thanks. Coach, can I ask you a question? I'm like sitting in his office. I was officially the third string quarterback. It's my sophomore year. Everybody relax. And I said, Coach, I'd, I'd like to suit up for homecoming, you know, being the third string. You never know. And he's like, ah, I think we'll be all right. And I was like, Coach? He's like, oh, the running back can QB if it comes to that, Judah. But uh, sure appreciate you. How's the sophomore team doing? Pretty good. <laughs> Right? So a lot of you are like, I'm not going to go talk to Coach God. I know I'm not good enough to be on the team. So I don't really mess with God. Right? Because you access his team by performance. Now, a lot of us preachers don't mean to do this, but we double down on these concepts for your listening enjoyment. We do it all the time. We don't mean to, but we do because it's logical and it makes sense, right? So we'll tell you things to do so that you're blessed. And you're like, oh, sick, all right. And what you don't know, and sometimes what us preachers don't know, is by default, we just reintroduced you again to God the coach. And without meaning to, I the preacher, now I'm not talking about any other preacher, so don't you dare start doing that, okay? talking about me, the preacher. I end up telling you about my life, right? So let's say I'm up here and I'm like, you know, I was praying the other day. Now by nature, you're all like, ooh, I should pray more. Oh man. You know, I, I give 10% of my income. Some of you are like, ooh, I don't even give 1%. All right, I should probably do that. You know, the other day I was uh, prayer walking my neighborhood and we're all like, oh man, I gotta, I don't even go on walks, let alone prayer walks. Oh man. The other day, I was wearing my church home merch. Oh, man, I don't have any church merch. I got to get some merch to be a witness to my neighbors. You know, whatever it is, whatever it is. I invited four of my neighbors to church, and some of you are like, ooh, I got to invite my neighbors to church. That's what we do on Team Jesus. Some of you, you know this has been the majority of your life with God. You ever had one of these days? You wake up, and you're like, Morning, God. I know, I know, it's been a while. I know, I know. Uh, I guess, hi. <laughs> I know, it's been about three weeks. I know, I know, I know. I said we'd talk every day, but it's been pretty busy down here. And, uh, well, how do I say this? Um, I could really use your help today in this job interview. <laughs> and, um, listen, here's the deal. Um, if you could like hook it up for me, 
I'd probably go hear Judah again, to be honest. In fact, I'd like to commit $1,000 to his ministry. Like, Judah, are you insinuating something in this sermon? (laughs) Relax, it's a joke. So I'm the only one that's done that? So I'm the only one that's ever made a deal with God as my coach? As my coach? You ever had one of these days where you're, you're alone with God and you're like, hey, all right, God, here's the deal. I am gonna be the most committed follower you've ever had. You're welcome. I am gonna pray more. I'm gonna read my Bible more. I'm gonna witness more. I'm gonna do evangelism night every Friday night. And I am gonna, without even knowing it, we, we mean well, God's not mad, I'm not mad. We're all trying our best down here, but God has well and truly become a coach more than a father. See. To get in the good graces of a coach, you have to perform well. To get in the good graces of a father, a perfect father, you have to just, let me think about this, you have to just be. (laughs) Hey, dad's like, hey. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, my entire family's at an NBA game tonight. Super good to be me. It's not a problem. I'm here ministering God's eternal word. But <laughs> I, uh, I got to tell you how this works. I, the 19, the 16, the 14-year-old, I, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I think about them every day. Think about them nonstop. I love them. I can't deny that. I, I, I could try. I, I can't. I can't. What do you, what do you, you you're going to put a gun to my head? You're going to challenge? I, I, what am I going to do? No, I don't love, I love him. I, 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 it's, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to explain it. The moment I saw him, the moment I heard the heartbeat, the moment they came out, I, I remember when all of them took their first breath. The last one was a little delayed because I had to go to the bathroom and so Chelsea had to hold her in. That's a long story. Didn't go so well for me. I was tired. I'd been sleeping all night. Long story. A lot of stuff we've worked through in therapy. But... When the babies came out, I, it's my son, it's my daughter. They go to jail, I'm going to jail. Now, one of them goes to jail. You, if you want to meet with me, I'll meet you at jail because I'll be there every day seeing them. Well, if they went to jail, they must have done something bad. Maybe, maybe the justice system is broken. I love my kids. How about that? Those are my babies. I would rather deny myself than deny them. Those are my babies. Where'd that come from? I mean, honestly, come on, work with me. Where'd that come from? Did I learn that behavior? Did I, did someone sit me down before we got pregnant and said, listen, there's a couple of things you're gonna have to kind of assimilate and absorb, and that is an unconditional love for the the, the people who carry your DNA, the offspring. You're gonna need to kind of relate to them with an unconditional love. How do I do that? Here's seven keys to unconditional love. You're gonna need this. This is gonna be great. So I worked on it every day, and sure enough, I was prepared when the first one came out. No, he was six weeks early. I was not prepared. Chelsea said, my water broke. This is a true story. Six weeks early. I said, can you put it back? It was 3.30 in the morning. That's a true story. When that Zion Hughes Smith came out, 
He was unnamed for a long time, to be honest. He was like three days unnamed because it was the craziest thing. Someone met us right when we got married and said, you're gonna have a firstborn son. His name will be Zion and he'll be a, a sign pointing the way to humanity and, and, and God and, and you'll see. And I was like, no, I'm having three daughters. I want all daughters. I don't want sons because I know boys, they're bad. I want girls. It's a true story. I was like, no, 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 I'm having all girls. So you're wrong, okay? And here came this boy and God spoke to me and I did what everybody does, every spiritual man of God like me does. I said, okay, God, if you really want this kid to be named Zion, you better speak to me. So I put my hand on the Bible. I went like this and I went, speak to me. And I looked and the scripture had Zion in it. And I was like, all right, all right. Now there's a lot of those. There is a lot of those, particularly in the Old Testament. But nonetheless, his name is Zion. And I'm obsessed with him. I didn't learn that. I was given that. It was in my makeup. Matthew 7, 11, If you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? Which is to say, if you think any of the earthly fathers, now many of us earthly fathers down here have done not a lot of good things for our kids, okay? Let's just say that. But there are some dads doing the best they know how, far from perfect. But there's some dads down here who are pretty stinking good. And the Bible seems to say, those dads are evil compared to your perfect heavenly father. I dream of a church that sits and stews and absorbs in their body and their brain and their soul the unending, unconditional, unrelenting, passionate, pursuing love of God. And that's why when on any platform in this world, human beings, the good, the bad, or the ugly, are made to somehow be feel as if they are less valuable than the other humans, you will find me there. Because the way I see him is how I see me, and it's how I see we. So you can't make me choose. I choose humans. Yeah, that's right. Because this dad, this papa, this abba, his love is unsearchable. You ever, um, you ever sat by the ocean and got in the sand and, 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 and felt the reverberations of the waves as it breaks onto the shore? And you can feel it into your, into your legs and into your body. And just keeps going. Where'd this come from? This relentless ocean. With its booming arrival on the shore. It's doing it right now. All over on shores all over the world. 
Who came up with that? Who came up with the sunrise and the sunset and the moon and the stars? Who did this? And what could he possibly be telling us through all of the elements? Well, in his book, he tells us that all of these elements are declaring his essence. That is sure at, yeah, perfect timing, Elijah. Perfect. I'm going to sound very spiritual as I come to my first close. <laughs> Did I mention I hate you guys? That's sarcasm. I'm sorry. Um, the waves recede and then they, then they recede. You got to try this, man. And they recede. And then they receive. They crash again. And you just sit there and you're like, who are you? Who are you? He's so in control of these elements that when he speaks, they augment, they shape, they change whatever he says that, yes, sir, yes, sir. Do you know, the scripture seems to insinuate that if his humanoids, as the centerpiece of his creation, if we do not worship that inanimate objects will grow lips and tongues and mouths and they will fill in the gap. He's great! <sighs> the sun starts to beam over the horizon Five in the morning, 5.30, whatever time it is, I'm never up, so I don't know. <laughs> Why get up when you could stay asleep? Consider the options. But the sun comes up and, and the Bible says, his mercies, that is getting what you don't deserve or not getting what you do deserve. His mercies are new. Just like the sun rising in the morning. And the beams of light as if to say, I'm here again, my child. And I am with you and I am for you and I forgive you. And this is another day and a new beginning. Coach, I've been a coach. I don't want to brag. I will coach a basketball team tomorrow night. I like being a coach. But that's not what God is. This is not a performance-based relationship, connection, or institution. This is not by worth, my friends. Relationship with God is by birth. Not worth. I hate to be the bearer of such bad news, but it's not really about you. Your performance, good or bad, it's not really about you. It's about him. The mystics knew about this. You can go to Europe, you know, 
and you can see the architecture. Shout out to the Saban Theater, I'd like to say. Here in the Western world, this is a pretty ornate theater, and I'm proud. But y'all been over to Europe at all? You ever been? I had the privilege of being over there a few times, and you walk into these edifices, you walk into these cathedrals, you walk into these halls and these, these, these stained glass and the ornate ceiling, and you stand in the middle of what is mere architecture made by the hands of man, and you stand there, and you go, what is this? Who are these artists and why did they care so much about the ceiling? And yet when you read some of the writings of these ancient artists, they, they would spend years painting a ceiling because they saw it as a way to communicate the care and the intimate involvement of the divine who himself is the great artist of all the ages. So they saw it as important, and yet we live in such a time where architecture has been minimized and creation has been made to be light and little, and yet all of it seems to speak to the essence of his character and the beauty and the majesty and the magnificence of who he is. And all of creation groans and cries and declares the essence of his character, that just as the ocean comes and goes and comes and goes, so God is consistent and faithful and true and merciful and gracious and kind and loving and he is father listen to this listen to this I forgot I had I had a bunch of points and all that kind of stuff but we skipped all that listen to this you're not gonna I'm gonna read you 21 verses whether you like it or not if you didn't do your bible reading today you about to right now if you talk to your mom later let her know you read 21 verses today And how many got a good Christian mom who's like, did you read the word today? Yeah, 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 mom. No, no, I did 21 verses. There was a man of the Pharisee sect that's a pastor, preacher, religious leader. Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the the Jews, late one night he visited Jesus and said, "Uh, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing all the God-revealing acts that you do if you weren't in on it. I, I find you and fancy you a different kind of man like I've never met. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Take it from me, unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to, to God's kingdom. How, how can anyone, said Nicodemus, uh, be born who's already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? Jesus said, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not listening. Let me, let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life. It's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Listen to the words of Jesus. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within the baby is formed by something you can't see and touch. Let me read that again. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape inside is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit. 
and becomes a living spirit. Y'all better pray for me because the emotions are coming and it's about to get ugly. Thanks for nothing. None of you are praying. Nicodemus asked, um, um, can we go back to the other verse? Nicodemus at, or the other one or the other one. What? There we go. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, I have it memorized. I just want y'all to follow along. What, what do you mean by this? How does this happen? Jesus said, you're a respected teacher of Israel. And you don't know these basics? Listen carefully. I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak only of what I know by experience. I give witness only to what I have seen with my own eyes. There is nothing secondhand here, no hearsay. Yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. If I tell you things that are plain as the hand before your face and you don't believe me, what use is there in telling you of the things you can't see, the things of God? No one has ever gone up in the presence of God except the one who came down from the presence. He's speaking of himself now, the son of man, in the same way that Moses, Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert so the people could have something to see and believe in. It is necessary for the son of man to be lifted up and everyone who looks upon him, trusting and expectant, will gain a real life, eternal life. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. This is why. So that no one need be destroyed. Though we might be destroyed in this life, we will live forever with him. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go all through the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He is not a coach. What are you doing? That's not God. That's not God. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without even knowing it. Why? Because that person's failure to believe in the one-of-kind son of God when introduced to him. It's not a moral thing. It's not a performance thing. It's a receptivity thing. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness You know why? They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it. And here's why. Feeling a painful exposure. You think God isn't a father. Try to expose one of my kids and see a side of me. You'll never come back to this church. I could tell you that much. I, I, I will not be kind to you. Try to expose and hurt one of my babies. We got a problem. And I got friends, big friends. So if this frame doesn't do nothing to you, I'll find some of my other friends. But we see God as a coach who's going to expose us. He's not. 
fearing a painful exposure, but anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light so the work can be seen for the God work it is. Jesus. Is that the last verse? I don't know. Somebody give me a thumbs up or something. I feel like there was one last. Okay, there must not be. I can't see anything. Okay, great. One translation, Jesus says, you must be born again. You ever heard that? You ever seen that bumper sticker? Born again believer. Nothing weirder when Christians introduce themselves as born again believers. It's the creepiest stuff we've ever done in modern society. My boss is a Jewish carpenter, born again believer. Just weird stuff we say that people are like, what does that mean, bro? Can I tell you, this born thing is important. Jesus said, you see the baby in front of you. I held Jason Lowe's new baby girl yesterday, Poppy. Love that little girl. And I'm holding this little baby and thinking all the thoughts I think about Jason and Lowe and this beautiful little girl and the life in front of her. But what Jesus would like me to remember is that though I can see and feel and hold a baby, there is only one who can shape the person she is on the inside. And that's the father. And so if Jason Lowe let me, I wanted to marry them, but they got another pastor to do the wedding, so you never know. But if they let me do the baby dedication, it's a joke. I will, um, I'll dedicate Poppy to the hands of her father. And we will commit little Poppy Kennedy to the invisible, heavenly, perfect father who will shape her on the inside. And we will ask that God would be kind to her and show himself to her so that she will know him for who he is. And I think tonight, I'm not looking at you so that I don't ugly cry because everyone likes tears sometimes, but when the communicator like can't speak anymore, it gets super awkward. Have you ever noticed that? You're like, dude, I love the tears. Oh, we've well and truly lost him. But um, um, there's an inside you that I can't really touch. You know that? There's an invisible you that Jesus says to Nicodemus, um, it's you, your eyes, your eyebrows, your ears. It's, it's adorable, but you are also the inside you, the spirit you, the soul you. And there's a father who wants to attend to the real you on the inside. It's the you that's hurting so bad right now and you can't figure out why. It's the you that keeps you up at night. And so your frame and your body can't sleep, not because it's not tired, but because the invisible inside part of you can't sleep. It's where things like shame live. 
Eventually it can show up in your body, but it doesn't first attach to your body. It attaches to you on the inside. Racism isn't a coat you wear. It's an ideology that attaches on the inside. We want to fix countries with social media. Come on, man. It's not possible. I post with the best of them. Don't get me wrong. But isn't there a primal cry in humanity? Who is the one who can meet me in the inside part that I can't see and I don't even understand? I'm feeling pain these days I don't even have words for, man. And I'm wondering who's going to help me. And I got more therapists than you do, so relax. Where is the Father? I don't need a coach. I don't need a coach. I don't need one more person to tell me to try harder. Is there anybody in this room tonight or watching on live stream that's so tired of using willpower? I'm exhausted. And the more we try, the worse it gets. Oh God, where are you when we need you? When will you climb up on the inside of me and change me? Change the invisible me, the eternal me, the soul me, the spirit me, meet me. So I have no plans tonight to talk you into where I think you need to be and believe. But I have every intention tonight of providing an environment by the grace of God where perhaps maybe, just maybe, this Jesus who spoke to Nicodemus could speak to you. This Jesus who speaks of an eternal heavenly father who has always been and shall always be, you know, the wave maker, you know, the mountain maker, the lake maker, the valley maker, you know, the Everest maker, the cloud maker, the oxygen maker, the carbon dioxide maker, the molecule maker, the animal maker, you know, that God, the great God of the whole earth, the eternal one. This Jesus speaks of him and he says, there is a realm to you and a dimension to you that is on the inside. It's the spirit you, it's the soul you. I didn't come tonight just to talk to your head. I came to communicate spirit to spirit, soul to soul. Are you not plagued and are you not in pain? Are you not hurting? Are you not wondering what we're doing to ourselves down here? So come on. Why don't you meet us? Why don't you change me on the inside? So all I'm asking, friend, is that on this night, what I would like to call an unusual night, none of us have come into a building quite like we came in here tonight. We've never been so privy to human calamity, murder and pain and loss. We talking about babies, y'all. What are we going to do? We're going to come in here and get coached up. Is that what we're going to do? What, am I your coach? I'm here just to give you some tools. Are we at the end of ourselves yet? Are we exhausted by all the means? And I applaud every single one of you for the difference you're trying to make in your world. I'm not mad at you. I'm just exhausted with you. 
Not you, but me. I'm exhausted. You're exhausted. We're together. I don't mean with you. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody like, oh, he must have saw my post. Dang. <laughs> and I didn't see it. I didn't see none of it. <sighs> this is where I'm at. What if in the next 15 minutes, call me a dreamer. What if in the next 15 minutes, this eternal father could do something on the inside of you that the old saints called being born again? What if he could give you new birth? What if he could give you new life? And I ain't just talking to people that aren't Christians. I'm talking to all of us. I need a new birth. You need to birth me again, God. Renew me again, God. Start something fresh and new in me, God. I give you my pain. I give you my problems. I give you my questions. I give you my losses. I give you my loneliness. I give you my agony. I give you my cosmic questions. And I got a lot for you, man. And you know, we always do this, but like he's like, you know what I mean? We could do this too, you know. Just to be clear, it's kind of counterproductive to the sermon I'm preaching. Like, wherever you are out there. No, no, he's, he's here. He's right here. But my prayer is that in the next 15 minutes, and I'm dead serious, we go to recorded music online, and we go to live music here. Please, I am begging you, don't you dare take my word for it, man. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Don't you stand where you are. You sit where you are. You go for a walk. You don't have to, if you, if you want to go on a walk in LA, you go. But if God is God, let God be God. Let the Father meet his children. Yeah. Yeah. All right, God. Show us you're the father. Hold your children. Renew your children. Transform your children. Refresh your children. We've not come here tonight under the auspice of just some mere mental ascent or exchange of concepts and principles. We have come here as pained humans who need some divine intervention. And I got good news for everybody. There's a father in town. There's a father in the city. There's a father in the building. There's a father in your aisle. There's a father in your heart. There's a father in your soul. And he wants to meet you. And he wants to change you. And he wants to transform you. So let God be God. Don't you take my word for it. I'm not up here trying to just change you to me or make you think like me. I'm just telling you I met a man. And his name is Jesus. And he told me that I could know the father. And he revealed to me in the full who he is and how he works and how he works and how he heals and how he restores and how he leads. And I am in love with Jewish Jesus. I am in love with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I am in love with the heavenly father. He is the truest being I've ever known. He's the truest person I've ever met. And he can transform your life. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Let me pray. Let me pray. Jesus, 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 Woo, Abba, Father, Daddy, you're in this room. 
You're in rooms all over the world, but I know you're in this room. You're meeting with children all over the world, but I know you're meeting with these children. You know the pain. You know the loss. You know the problems. You know the shame. You know the weaknesses. You know the addictions. You know the temptations. You know the proclivities. You know our loss. You know our loneliness. You know our weariness. You know our anxiety. You know our fear. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know. So we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever without end. Oh, wonderful Papa, fill this building with the manifestation of your character and your love. Jesus, 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 Jesus. No shame, no condemnation, no shame, no condemnation. God, I pray for every ounce of guilt, every ounce of shame, every ounce of a condemning sentence that has been laid over your children. I pray it would be canceled. Every feeling of inadequacy, every feeling of weakness and shortcoming, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for new beginnings. Thank you for new starts. Thank you for fresh beginnings. Thank you, God. We are who we are by the grace of God. We are who we are by your goodness and your performance and your mercy. Oh, do a new thing. Do a fresh thing. Do something fresh and new in our mind, our spirits, our souls, and our hearts. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.